Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 111, Too Short a Season. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we try to recapture our lost youth by administering a healthy dose of Star Trek. From way back in the beginning with TOS and beyond, we'll be looking at every episode of Trek ever made and trying to figure out what the lesson is at the end of the day. Well, until such day that we totally regress into men, children who can't work the recording equipment, but you know... We've got time. Today's show, too short a season. You're not going to make a joke too long an episode or anything oh, like that. Oh, 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 zing. Would that not be a, a spoiler? Would that not be just skipping straight to the end of the show? It, it I, might I'm just not, be. I'm not saying that's a joke that I would even make, because I don't want to no. let anybody in on anything that I'm thinking about. Too short a season. <laughs> hey, before we get to uh, John Champion's trivia, sponsored by, uh, insert your sponsorship here, I want to mention some stuff that's going on at Roddenberry.com. Now, I feel like I've been, we've been, the two of us together, uh, have been a little capitalist on this whole thing, right? Telling people, mm-hmm. hey, you can buy this game, which I love the game. Red Shirts is what the game is called. Or you're telling people about props and things like that. Right. And that is, of course, not everything that Roddenberry is about. And that's not everything that Roddenberry.com is about either. There are three things there that I want to uh, draw people's attention to, and none of them will cost you a dime. They're doing a fan census thing. Right now, where not only can you see what people's um, sort of what Star Trek has meant to just well, I don't want to just say average fans, because a lot of them were filmed at, you know, one of the conventions. So you got people in costume and stuff like that. But then you've got a lot of just, you know, guys sitting at their computer or gals sitting at their computer saying what it is that Star Trek has meant to them over the years. So you can see other people's, um, you know, other people's remembrances or other people's thoughts on Star Trek. And they even have instructions for how you can submit your own as well. So that's one fun thing. Uh, there's a link there to 1701 News, which is great. Any sort of, you know, current or, or recent uh, Star Trek news, you'll find a link uh, there. I mean, well, once you get to 1701 News, but there's a link right on the front page from 1701 News. And then there's also a link to uh, the, the philanthropy stuff that uh, that the Roddenberry Foundation is doing. I don't know if we've ever talked about Rod Roddenberry. <laughs> I, I still am a little fuzzy. Yeah. On, on yeah the, so is Rod Roddenberry. Yeah, right. Um, no, it's, I mean, he's not. Yes, he does the Star Trek thing. You'll see him at conventions sometimes. Uh, you'll, you know, of course, he's doing a mission log. He's got the replica, you know, props and things. There's stuff that he's selling. But then there's also stuff. Issues that are important to both Rod Roddenberry and, and sort of the kinds of things that you would expect to be associated with that name. So lots of stuff to check out there. And then if you also happen to buy a Batleth, great. But if you don't, uh, Roddenberry.com. Uh, tons of stuff for people to check out there. Um, and I highly encourage them to do so. And now the moment you've really been waiting for, John Champions Trivia, sponsored by John Champions Trivia. Uh, Ken, by the way, I just have to follow up to say that if there are any site on the internet where you could go for philanthropy and accidentally buy a Batleth, I think you <laughs> narrowed it down to the one place. So. Yeah, probably, probably so. Probably yeah, so. very good. Um, yeah, today's trivia. So uh, this episode is written by Michael McCallion, but DC Fontana came in kind of at the last moment and really changed things up. Now, I have some spoilers later So they're not really spoilers when we get into the storyline. So we'll cover that in a moment. Um, Clayton Rohner played Jameson. Now, he appeared in a lot of movies in the 80s and has continued to work in a lot of TV and movie ever since. And yes, 
Yes, there was some disappointment about the makeup he wears in this show. Michael Westmore, who was certainly enormously talented, uh, had to design four different age looks for Roner, uh, which means that the show was always going to be behind schedule if they aimed for a high movie quality level of makeup effects. They simply had to rush and they knew it. So in retrospect, maybe that was one of the weak elements of the show. Uh, but, hey, they were doing what they could do on the very, very tight budget and tight schedule of cranking out a TV show. Michael Pataki plays Karnas, and he was the Klingon Korax in The Trouble with Tribbles, picking a fight with Scotty. Hmm. Um, he is one of those actors. He appeared in just about Everything up until his death in 2010. Highlights for me: uh, Batman, Mission Impossible, Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, you know him from something as well. WKRP yeah. in Cincinnati. Now, I actually looked it up on IMDb to make sure it was him, and it turns out he mm-hmm. played two characters on that. But the one I think that people will remember, uh, if they remember WKRP at all, he was the Russian who wanted to defect. Mm-hmm. You know, because that show was. When you had to defect if you wanted to leave Russia, right, not just, right. you know, spend a lot of money and get out of Russia. Right. Um, yeah. So it would have been like 80 or 81, I think, because one of the running jokes was when they went to the consulate, they still had the picture of Jimmy Carter up on the wall, even though oh, wow. uh, even though uh, Reagan uh, was, of course, president because they were running behind. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just I, I remember that. Yeah. Don't know why I remember that episode so well, but I do. So, yes. So oh, if cool. you watch this episode and then had the song Tiny Dancer stuck in your head later. Mm. It's because of WKRP in Cincinnati. See, I wasn't going to, and but now, now you I will. Do. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> you and everybody else. Good night, America. Uh, all right. And all the ships at sea. Mm hmm. Marsha Hunt played Anne in today's episode. She was born in 1917 in Chicago. Her first film credit is from 1935, and she continued working through 2008 with a role in a TV film noir called The Empire State Building Murders. And uh, I thought this is such a cool idea because it stars a lot of old Hollywood. So people like Kirk Douglas, Mickey Rooney, Sid Charisse. Uh, I think it was Sid Charisse's last uh, appearance uh, as an actor. But then they are put in against vintage clips with other classic actors like Lauren Bacall, James Cagney, Edward G. Robinson. And um, it, it's a very, very hard to find film here. Uh, apparently, it was a European production company. It aired in other parts of the world. Um, but I have, I have read it described as sort of a serious version of Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I was going to say, it sounds like Dead Men Don't mm-hmm. Wear Plaid. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the props, about that wheelchair that uh, the, one, uh, the one without wheels. Yeah, right. Well, that's kind of the problem. It was big. It was bulky and it didn't move. And everybody hated working with it. Um, was it supposed it, to move? It was supposed to move, and it was just incredibly difficult to move. So okay. you'll notice that every scene in which it appears, it is not moving. Right. And, uh, yeah, everybody hated it. And it just is a design it owes more to Captain Pike than it does to Professor X. And it cost the production $10,000 to make that thing. <laughs> yeah. For a chair that doesn't move? Mm-hmm. They could have gotten one for significantly less than that. Yes, they could. Or they yes. could have gotten a wheelchair and like built a foam core frame around it. Right. I know. Yeah. I don't want to second guess. <laughs> but I'm guessing I could have given them a chair that doesn't move for, oh, 5000 Well, see, there, there you go. That's why you're not a Hollywood prop maker, Ken. That's true. That's, that's one of the many reasons. Right. Um, and, hey, how about at the end, that wall of weapons in Karnas' office? We see a uh, particular standout, a phaser, a hand phaser from Star Trek Three, among other items there that may be recognizable to you. And, uh, of course, not out of the question that we would see those vintage weapons, given the timeline and the plot about how Federation weapons would have arrived there. If you sense tension, aggravation, and annoyance on the Enterprise this week, it can be attributed to one thing. There is an Admiral on board. Prologue. Arriving at Pre-75, the Enterprise has been ordered to pick up Admiral Mark Jameson. 
He used to be taken to Morden 4, where he will negotiate a hostage situation on behalf of Karnas, the governor of that planet. Terrorists have taken a Federation representative, and they will only negotiate with a Federation official. Jameson is a very old man, and he knew Karnas many years ago. He's ready and willing to take the job, his wife coming along for the ride too, and he reminds Picard that while he is on board, he will be in charge of the mission. Act 1. In his first contact with Karnas while on the Enterprise, Jameson is told that there will be no briefing, that the terrorists will only talk to him in person, and there better not be any trickery. Also, you're looking pretty old, dude. Karnas just thought he'd throw that out there. Way to kick a guy when he's down. Picard informs Admiral Jameson that he'll need to stop by and see Dr. Crusher. All very routine. They just need to see how he's holding up. Dana looks disturbed by the whole thing. Karnas and Jameson are giving her the emotional heebie-jeebies. In Picard's ready room, Jameson explains that the situation may be tricky. Yes, Morden 4 has been at peace for a while now, but that may be a prelude to a new violent threat. He may be walking to a situation where the terrorists are demanding weapons. He also knows that Karnas is a big believer in revenge. He may be ready to really take it out on the terrorists for the insult of capturing a Federation official. Back in his quarters, Jameson is having some physical trouble. Whatever it is, he's convulsing and in pain. His wife, Anne, is worried, but he says it will pass. About that medical report, Dr. Crusher tells Picard that Jameson turned in a medical file on himself that is two months old. He's hiding something. Picard says, look, he's an old man. Who knows? He's suffering from a debilitating disease of the body, Iverson's disease. But why don't you hang out on the bridge for the next few days and just keep an eye on him, okay? On the bridge, Picard offers Jameson the opportunity to take the con. The old man shocks everyone by standing up out of his wheelchair and walking to the control panel. Act 2. Something's just not right. Dr. Crusher says there is no cure, even though Jameson says he's been trying out a new treatment. Hmm. And Jameson's wife is shocked, too, when later in their quarters, the old admiral is not only standing, but perhaps starting to get a little frisky. She notices that he is changing, though. He actually looks different, younger than his 85 years. And then he has another spell, dropping to his knees in pain. Something is not right, and Anne calls for the doctor. See, Dr. Crusher was on to something. She tells the captain that he is taking something, but she has no idea what. None of the stuff in his bloodstream making these changes shows up in her medical knowledge base. The disease doesn't even show up anymore. When Picard shows up at Jameson's quarters, he finds the Admiral up and about, very energetic, and ready to talk. He explains that as soon as he was diagnosed, he used a mythical drug combination from Cerebus II, a place where we had negotiated a treaty. The myth proved to be fact, and the treatment has been restoring his youth. He even sped up the process by taking his dosage along with what he had acquired for Anne. Picard is a little teed off that Jameson is so passionate about the treatment, and also curious as to why he would do this specifically before the trip to Morden 4. Anne is not happy at all. This was a secret, a selfish secret, that her husband had kept from her. In a darkened room, Admiral Jameson contacts Karnas privately to try to get the lowdown on the hostage situation. Karnas is tight-lipped, but Jameson reads between the lines. There are no terrorists. Karnas is luring Jameson there because he's holding a 45-year-old grudge, and he'll have his executioner kill those hostages, except for the very high price of Jameson's presence there. Uh-oh. Jameson demands that the Enterprise increase speed to arrive ahead of schedule. He wants to greet Karnas by surprise. Strap in, folks. Jameson is going in early, armed to the teeth, leading the away team himself. Act 3. Jameson has a plan that involves beaming into the old underground tunnels on Mordor, uh, sorry, Morden, and bringing back the hostages from there. He just knows Karnas would keep them there because, honestly, he's a pretty easy guy to figure out. Any objection Picard might have goes nowhere. Jameson is in charge. Meanwhile, Anne is having a difficult time coping with the changes in her husband. She confides in Dr. Crusher and Troy that she feels left behind with Jameson's sudden youth. Then Crusher breaks the bad news. Her husband's treatment is unstable. He may just get younger and die. By now, Admiral Jameson is a young man, maybe mid-30s. He's headstrong about his plan, but Picard pushes him on the issue. Now Jameson comes clean. 
There was the official version of the story in which Carnus had captured hostages and Jameson had negotiated for their release. Then there's the real story where Jameson actually went in and negotiated with weapons and thus setting the stage for 40-odd years of civil war. Jameson feels some guilt about this. Though shocked, Picard does say that Carnus could have worked for peace. This time will be different. Jameson will go in, get the hostages, and leave, but he knows that what Carnus really wants is revenge. In the transporter room, it's time to start the mission, but Picard has an announcement. While Jameson may be in charge, the captain is going with him. Heroic poses struck, energized. Act 4. Just like Disney World, there's a mysterious winding world of corridors underneath the surface on Morden. Jameson thinks he knows where he is, and he has the away team cut through a wall where the hostages should be. But they're not. And in fact, Jameson just led the team into a firefight from Karnas' men. You don't need to be Admiral Akbar to remind you what this is. Jameson experiences another medical issue. He convulses to the floor, and Picard beams the group back to the ship. Karnas, meanwhile, demands to see Jameson. In sickbay, the Admiral is not well at all. Yet yeah, his body is now even younger, but he's dying. And he insists that he be beamed back down to Karnas. Far better to risk it if it will save the hostages. So he does, along with Picard and Dr. Crusher. When they arrive in front of Karnas, there's a bit of confusion. That is not the 85-year-old man Karnas was expecting. Act 5. Karnas is still not convinced, and meanwhile, the young Jameson is dying in front of him. Picard asks for Anne to be beamed down now, too. He shows Karnas a photo record of Jameson's extraordinary change, but he puts Karnas in his place. Those decades of war, you are to blame for that as well. Jameson may be here, but what good will revenge do you? Jameson staggers to his feet to confront Karnas. There were only the two of them when they first met, and Karnas told him then that he wanted weapons for revenge. When Jameson shows Karnas a scar on his wrist, what sealed their deal, Karnas knows it's him. With that, Karnas pulls a weapon from his collection and prepares to open fire, but he refrains to watch the young, decrepit Jameson suffer. Jameson collapses to the ground and then dies in his wife's arms. Karnas tells Picard that the hostages will be freed, and he is prepared to cooperate with the Federation. On the bridge, Picard announces that Jameson will be buried on Morden, and the hostages are free. Then Picard and Riker ruminate on the quest for youth. Does one need age and wisdom to appreciate the benefits of age and wisdom? The end. All right, here's the thing about Minuet. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. What? What? I know, we're still going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's up with Troy in this episode? Mm -hmm. From the get-go. At the very, very beginning, she's obviously sensing something off of Admiral Jameson. She's on the edge of her seat. And yet, doesn't mention it to anybody. Doesn't no. confront Jameson about it. Doesn't mention it to Picard. Doesn't pull Riker aside. Doesn't, doesn't sort of have a confab with Crusher, apparently. She's well, like, the whole time she's looking at him, she's like, but nothing. She saw what happened when Wesley tried to alert the bridge crew to anything out of the ordinary. Well, yes, but she's not a 15-year-old <laughs> boy. No. As we've established, uh, there was one other thing, uh, just a, just a minor question. Um, you mentioned a, a character I didn't recognize uh, in your recap there, uh, Adm- Admiral Ak- Akbar. Uh, that... no, you'll meet him later. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about him. Is he as big a jerk as the rest of the admirals? <laughs> Do you want to go ahead and skip straight to the moral of this show, the same as it is in the original series? He's Admiralty definitely not a jerk. Yes, yeah. is something else that starts with an A. And mm-hmm. I can't think of what it is, but mm-hmm. oh, and it's man. not awesome. It's not awesome. No, sounds a tiny bit like that, but it changes drastically halfway through the word. Right, right. <sighs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I said that I had some spoiler trivia. That yes, I you did. To get into and um, just very quickly in the original version of the script, there were actual terrorists, and a much younger version of Jameson would have lived. So they don't have the dramatic death scene at the end. And uh, there would have been a peace negotiation um, with Karnas, but uh, Jameson would have gotten to a point where he doesn't remember anything and tragically doesn't remember his wife, Anne. And then you wrap it up with uh, the very young Jameson and Wesley, who is, by the way, not in this show at all, uh, but with Wesley giving young Jameson a tour of the ship. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So he was just going to keep going backwards. I honestly, when when they when Anne came into or when Picard, excuse me, came into sickbay, when they're like, "You have to get here immediately," mm-hmm. I halfway expected an eight year old kid. Right? Yeah, right. On right. the gurney, which would yeah. have been kind of interesting. Hey, yeah. I was reminded, and I was kidding about Minuet, but I was reminded of something in this episode that you mentioned last time. Mm-hmm. And I think we actually got a little bit of feedback from somebody on uh, Facebook or Twitter. I can't remember mm-hmm. which. Uh, where they were like, yeah, you know, we use our we use our technology so much today, and the uh, and and the enterprise it's so much better, and they just kind of look at stuff, and then they you know go on living their lives, which you also mm-hmm. said. There were three pads on Picard's desk, <laughs> three three pads. Now, what's interesting to me this this actually leads me to believe that Apple is going to win <laughs> in the future because the only reason you need three pads is if you can only look at one thing at a time on the screen. Right, right. <laughs> and that true, is, true. Some would say a failing of uh, of the iPad as we sit here today and record this in, uh, in 2014 if you're building a time capsule. Right. Um, yeah, lots of technology cluttering Picard's desk. Yeah, uh, well, uh, but back to the point, yes. <laughs> Picard has a lot of technology on his desk. Back to yes. the point, he leaves the technology on his desk. Well, because okay. if it were now, and you have an away team beaming down to a planet, even middle of a firefight, there's going to be some jerk in the back just looking at their Twitter feed on their phone. Or Instagramming the firefight. Or Insta- exactly. OMG, LOL, being shot at. <laughs> speaking of technology, and speaking of that wheelchair as we were earlier, uh, bad choice not to put a wheelchair ramp on the transporter pad. Maybe the transporter chief should have beamed uh, Jameson to an area where we wouldn't have to go downstairs. Oh, you know, I just realized that's right. I, I, mm-hmm. couldn't, under, I couldn't understand why you were talking about that, because I was like, what? He's walking by the time he has to transport, but he did, of course, have to teleport in. At the very beginning, yeah, yeah, yeah. they had to right. bring him in, and he's just sitting there, and it's like, well, we better go to commercial, <laughs> exactly. because this is going to be a whole process. <laughs> this will be ugly, unless yeah. it has some sort of repulsors or something like that. Maybe it's not a Ooh. wheelchair. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you, you're just going to R2-D2 this and say, now suddenly it's got rocket packs. Well, I mean, the thing didn't move, John. It can have anything. <laughs> it right. may actually have its own little transporter mechanism where it can, like, you know, beam him, like, five feet. So when he comes across... <laughs> like, that, that is good. Wouldn't that be that, awesome? That'd be good. A little power heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but still, that'd, that'd be kind of neat. Hey, how much is Picard not paying attention because Jameson just had a conversation with Karnas, and Picard <laughs> knows this because he's the one who patched it through. Right. He's like, oh, you're about to call Karnas? Okay, that's cool. You might want to make that private. Then Jameson comes onto the bridge and says, um, look, we have to take Karnas by surprise, and I believe Karnas actually has the hostages. Picard says, how do you know that? Jameson's like, yeah, I'm not at liberty to say, dude, you just had a conversation with Karnas. You literally just got off the phone with him. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. It didn't even occur to me. That, uh, that's a good point. P- Picard's ability at deduction is uh, maybe a little stunted. Yeah, episode. he's no Dixon Hill in this episode. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I have a question. So you're talking about them beaming out and going down there and all that stuff, right? So so they there's six of them on the transporter pad. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, how does Riker not argue with Picard about that? The very I first know. episode, the very first conversation they have, Picard's like, so... I hear you wouldn't let your captain do something stupid. Right. And Riker's right. like, that's right, I wouldn't. And Picard's mm-hmm. like, good, keep that up. And then, you know, now <laughs> he's right. like, oh, you're an idiot about to lead people into a firefight. I'm going to go with you. And Riker <laughs> just stands there like, oh, man, what? am I supposed yeah. to argue with you now or am I not right. supposed to? Because there's somebody else here and it might look bad, but at the same time, yeah, it just goes ahead and lets him go. But here's the, here's the question I actually had about the whole beaming thing. Okay. So, uh, uh, Worf and Yar are there. They're part Mm -hmm. of the security detail. Mm -hmm. They beam over. And then the second they materialize, they pull out their phasers. Yeah. I don't think that's a bad idea. I'm thinking, though, Mm -hmm. those three seconds could have been the difference between life and death. Why not beam over with their phasers out? Mm. Is there a reason? Yeah, no, good point. Because we know that you can beam with a phaser out. Yes. Because uh, we just saw Lore do it. Yep. You absolutely yeah. can. Of course, we don't know what happened because Lord, I mean, Lord didn't beam. I mean, they were beaming him to his death. So, right. So right. maybe they were like, oh, you're not really supposed to beam a guy with a phaser because it might blow up. Mm-hmm. But it's lore. So let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> but right. it, it just struck me as kind of odd. I mean, I assume that there's nothing bad about it's not like it'll blow up, though, because, I mean, a phaser in your hand could blow up just as easily as a phaser on your hip. Sure. 
sure. they know they're going into a hostile situation. I mean, if you were beaming to like a like a like a, a trade negotiation or 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 a hostage negotiation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But like beaming straight, like like when they beam into Carnes's uh, you know chamber, maybe mm-hmm. don't beam in with your phaser pointed straight out then. Right. But if you right. know you're going into hostile territory, I got an idea. <laughs> maybe maybe they just feel like uh, either Yar or Worf would have been a little too trigger happy. And they're in an unfamiliar environment. They got the phasers out. Well, no, no, no. We need to wait and actually see what's here before you start shooting. Because after all, we know that at the first sign of anything, <laughs> Worf is just ready to get the phaser but out. They, Even Picard explicitly says, do not pull a gun on Q. Yeah. Worf is the guy who is ready to pull what a gun on What are you going to do? Shoot the TV? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I that know. Was but, but no, I mean, they're, they're, there's not even time for their eyes to adjust before they're reaching for the phaser. So I'm thinking, you know, save yourself the three seconds and maybe give yourself a little security as well. There you go. Yeah, All I right. mean, I'm just, it, it, that's a dumb, dumb point to get stuck on. But it, I was sort of like, it's just like it's giving true. them something to do. Wait, you're saying it's true that it's a dumb, dumb point? No, no, I'm saying it's true that they should have done that. Because <laughs> it is a dumb, dumb point. There's, and, and again, along those lines, mm-hmm. why do Jordy and, 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 uh, and Data like, give each other a meaningful look when they're leaving orbit? I never understood that. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. I know it's to give you something to do at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it really seemed like it would be more like Jordy would be looking over at Data for that look. And Data, who you know doesn't really get the whole human thing, is not giving him the meaningful look back. No, no. And, and it's never for anything really important. It's just like, OK, we're going to leave orbit or now we've arrived at a yeah, planet where they look orbit. at each other really see like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, my. Well, wow, done. That, that's important way to take it out of park. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's mostly what they've done for this episode. Hey, well, I will they, give them they put a, it in park and they took it out of park. I mean, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. let's be fair. I will give them credit here for a couple of cool uh, technical uh, directing things here. Yeah. Uh, Rob Bowman directed this. We've talked about Rob Bowman before yep. being the young whiz kid uh, on the show as a director. And uh, we got a really nice low angle view uh, in sick bay looking up at the ceiling. And I thought it was cool. I, I don't think we have seen as much of it up until now. Mm-hmm. And it gives that set some real dimension. I mean, it, it looks way, way bigger and, and way more impressive than of course what we had ever seen in TOS. And, um, it kind of makes up for seeing that terrible wallpaper again, and because uh, we do early on in the show. All right. Um, and there's a great little bit of handheld, uh, very close up work when Picard comes back onto the bridge after the fight on Morden. And it just sort of gave that scene a little more intensity. Um, I read that one of the complaints that Rob Bowman had about the script in his earlier stages is that there wasn't enough action. It was a lot of sit and talk. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that he's able to ramp up the intensity by uh, by putting that camera right in the middle of the character. So I thought that was a, a good choice. You know, it's always it's well, I shouldn't say it's always fun because it's not always fun. But it is interesting when people take the camera off the mount. Mm-hmm. When they take the camera off the tripod. Yeah. Um, well, there, there have been some bad versions of that in Next Gen. Yeah. But this, but this, this, one, this yeah. one was good. Yeah, it worked mm-hmm. well. It actually reminded me a bit of, I know there was one in TOS that we actually both liked. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. remember which episode it was in, but it also reminded me, um, they do it in the... Uh, they do it in the reboot movies, which I know we're not supposed to talk about for another 15 years or so. But, <laughs> right, right. Um, they do do it. Yeah, yeah there's, a fan, there's, there's one in particular. And, and it, it tends to work particularly well, actually, with the turbo lift. And I'm not sure what that's about unless it's that you're going from a bigger space into a smaller space back into a bigger space sometimes. Like, I know mm-hmm. they do that in – like I say, I know they do that in the in, in JJ track because – and that that's actually sort of a neater trick because we follow him onto the turbo lift and then we follow him off the turbo lift into a completely different room. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, it does give – it gives the whole thing a bit more – it's like we talked about last week where we actually get to see the Enterprise go into the space station. As opposed to just, oh, we're going to the space station. Okay, right. well, I'm going down to uh, the medical bay, so <laughs> I'm getting on the turbo lift. Bye bye, everybody. You know, at least right. we, we follow him that far, which kind of makes it um, it, it kind of makes it, it makes it possible for us to inhabit the space a bit more. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I ask a technical question? Do it. Not technical filmmaking. This is more, you know, geekery to a one thing. Okay. So so um, JMO has totally regenerated, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. He's like he was like a ninety-eight-year-old guy when he got right. there, and now he's right. like a twenty-eight-year-old guy by the time he gets to the end. Sure. And uh, and Karna says, "All right, prove it to you. Let me see the scar." <laughs> oh, yeah. a funny story. You know how I'm like regenerating, right? 
<laughs> right. It's lucky. And he didn't even check for the scar first. He didn't even like look to go, oh, okay, yeah, there. He's like, oh, here's the scar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this is awkward. <laughs> it could have. It was right there. Remember, you put it right there. Yeah, you're right. Jameson told me about it. Okay. Wiped out a horrible, debilitating disease, and yet a little bit of scar tissue was too much of a match for the urban drug combination from Cerebus 2. Too short a season? Too short a seen it. I liked it better when it was called Benjamin Button. And now it's time for a recurring feature that has never happened before and will likely never happen again. <laughs> Conspiracy or plot hole? Hmm. So Jameson's the bad guy here, right? Right. He started a private little war. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, thanks. I thought they actually, I thought they were going to name check that episode just <laughs> right. in a line. They didn't. And I would have been okay with that one because they wouldn't be like, oh, this is like that time that James T. Kirk did this thing with mm-hmm. these people. If he had just said it was a private little war, I'd have been like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> they didn't do it. Whatever. That's fine. And uh, the question I have is, where did he get the weapons? He says that he falsified the records and had to live with that bad decision for decades. Though it's worth noting, he also lived with, you know, prestige and an admiralty and his wife. And, you know, he <laughs> could go wherever he wanted. And he's like, by right. the way, I'll do your mission, but I'll do your mission. I mean, he gets a lot out of this, but, you know, he's apparently carried this guilt around for 40 years as well. Here's the thing I don't get, though. So so he goes and, and, and secretly, you know, makes a deal with Karnas and says, um, or Karnas, and says, um, okay, we're going to tell everybody that we've negotiated peace, <laughs> but I'm going to give you weapons. Right. And then secretly he gives the other people weapons and right. he gives them enough weapons that they have a 40 year war and millions of people die. But we're led to believe that he covers that up with Starfleet. That he, yeah. he says, I falsified the record. So they don't even know about it. Okay. Well, what are you like Richie rich or something? Where'd you get the weapons? I mean, it, it, so this is the question I have conspiracy or plot hole. Was Starfleet in on this private little war the way they were in the private little war, or is this just a bottle? Man, I this is going to be tough to come down on one side here because I kind of think that it might be conspiracy, and and maybe that has to do with one of the inspirations for this show. One of the inspirations for this show was the Iran Contra scandal mm. of uh from like nineteen eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven when that story was breaking. Yeah. Um where the government was actively involved in providing weapons to uh trade for hostages and then funneling that money to overthrow another government. Um <laughs> so, yeah, just a little just Good. a little thing that happened in the eighties. Good times. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots of stuff uh, happened in the eighties though. I mean blow was huge. I mean really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all kinds of Yeah been a long time um so that's a tough one i you know you could say that the weapons are pretty easy to come by because as we learn from star trek six you can literally walk into a kitchen and uh, and get a phaser out of the wall (laughs) Uh, so so maybe he just went around to every starship and it's like i'm taking a tour show me the kitchen (laughs) and then he steals a phaser (laughs) throws that along or or Maybe it's the machinery of weaponry. So if he has the machinery to create weapons mm-hmm. um, vis-a-vis a private little war, they could yep. do that. You, you do beam a replicator down there and go like, oh, I just – it was really a replicator meant for food to help them. You know, that that episode actually gave me one of my favorite lines that you've ever done. Which is? Uh, give a man a gun, he'll shoot for a name. <laughs> right. Teach, Teach a man, a man to make a gun. gun. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, he'll that's, kill for a lifetime. There you, yeah. there you go. So, okay, I'm, I'm liking your thinking there. Although he does say he gave them weapons, but mm-hmm. I'm liking your thinking there. That actually, that makes the episode work a bit better for me just as far as, like, logically. Now, here's a spoiler. There are things about Starfleet that we just haven't revealed yet. And maybe, just maybe, there are factions in and around Starfleet that could maybe help provide weapons to overthrow a government. Wait a minute. Are you doing TNG? Are you doing Reboot? Are you doing DS9? What are you doing now? I, we're all of the above. We're really? Like, yeah, yeah. Because you know. I do not remember that from TNG. I believe you, but I don't remember. Ooh, this is exciting to rediscover it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
uh, just uh, Section 31, my friend. Section 31. And that's in, that's in TNG. No, I know. They don't get it to, to uh, TNG. Well, I just DS9. asked about it if it was in TNG, and you told me yes. So I, I was thinking ahead of DS9 oh, and then later. Trust, yeah. trust no one. I think no. that's... that's that's the episode. That's the moral that I've learned from this episode of Mission Log. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I want to share some feedback that we got from a listener okay. um, because we got uh, an email from Matthew from Wales, and uh, he said what really caught me on the rewatch, talking about this episode, mm-hmm. was how much ground it covered from the animated series, The Counterclock mm-hmm. Incident, specifically the conversations about growing old, the trials and benefits of aging, and what happens when one person in a marriage makes a unilateral lateral and life-changing decision for them both these exchanges were sorely missing from the counterclock incident um thank you matthew and yeah i remember in our discussion of the counterclock incident when captain april basically decides like yeah we're 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 just gonna stay old yeah we could we could just stay young ah, but we're not right and, and i kept thinking if i'm mrs robert april uh hey Hey, this seems like a pretty good deal to me. Um, <laughs> right. we, we have all our faculties. We're good looking. You know. Yeah. Well, um, how long were the animated episodes, though? Were they 22 minutes? Yeah. I, the, I can't remember 20, if we talked. Like 22, 24 minutes. Something. Yeah, I can't remember if we talked about. I mean, first of all, even though it was, I mean, they were writing Star Trek stories, it was still going to be on, you know, kids show time. Mm-hmm. And I also had very little time. I would hope yeah. that they would have actually done a whole, well, no, let's talk about this for a second. Right. You know, thing if we were talking about a real series or if the um, or, you know, live action series or you know, a longer period of time. Right. But, yeah, kind of kind of terrible. The decisions that and it's even worse. It's even worse in this episode, though, because Jameson's like, so I was going to risk my life and 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 take this medication that was going to make me younger. Mm-hmm. And then if it worked for me, I was going to give you some. But then <laughs> Too I, bad. I decided I really wanted to be younger. <laughs> And more quickly, so I took both of them. But don't worry, honey, we'll get you some. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. He's like a, he's like a, yeah, yeah. He's. <laughs> you remember in the empath when I said the Vians are the worst. Now, now I think Admiral Jameson is the worst. Well, he is an admiral. He is. Yeah. He is. But yeah, I mean, it, it was cool that we revisited some of that territory from the animated series. I thought that was pretty cool. I, I was thinking about that as well while watching this, um, and I, I think the. The problem here, the split here, is that this episode is trying to take on two weighty and important and intriguing topics. The animated series was really only dealing with one, and even then in its very, very short and kind of dumbed-down confines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like we, we got a little bit more of that, but we should have gotten even more if that's what the focus of the story was going to be about. I'm sorry, you mean in the counterclock incident or in this episode? No, I mean in this episode in okay. two season. Yeah. yeah. We, we we yeah. Yes. Yeah. I well, we should come back to whether or not that works. We will. Okay. Yeah. Um I I have other questions about uh, Jameson. Okay. Um so he dealt with Carnas Carnas, excuse me, for a brief mm-hmm. period of time, four decades ago. Mm-hmm. Why or how is he so certain that he'll do the exact same thing that he did so long ago? Well, I, I think that it's a little bit of projecting. I think okay. that Jameson does the same thing that he does four decades ago. Yeah. And I think he's just projecting that on Carnas. Now, maybe he does know him that well. Maybe. maybe. It seems kind of weird, though. Yeah. So then, like, so that, so then they go in, right? And they're going down to the tunnels where Data's mm-hmm. already told them, eh, this isn't, you know. And, and Jameson's like, no, I know him. I know mm-hmm. that it'll be like this. Mm-hmm. So then a well-written Tasha Yar says, look, if you know where this guy is. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Why don't we just beam straight there? And then Jameson's like, well, he might not be in the exact same place. I mean, it's, it's important to look around. We really have to be sure. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I'm bothered. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it, it, it's it, he's he. Well, he's an admiral. I mean, I guess I, that's what I keep coming back to because because he's like, I know I'm right about this. And then when he's not right and somebody's like, well, you know, if you know you're right, well, I might not be right. It's yeah. it just he's a he's a he's a flawed character. <laughs> you have to worry about the the structure at Starfleet that yeah. a guy like Jameson yeah. would be an admiral would still be allowed to do anything. Yeah. 
And then you got you have a guy like Picard, who is an amazing captain, but really he has all the qualities that you would truly want in an admiral or a commodore, somebody who has a, a much higher, yeah. you know, honorific title and is doing negotiations. Yeah, except the problem is that I mean, so you end up what doing a lot of ribbon cuttings and you know ceremonial <laughs> things at that point. No, seriously, right. I mean it, it's yeah. like it's one of those horrible things where where mediocrity gets promoted up because mm-hmm. it's not bad enough that you can actually fire them, but they are sort of standing in the way. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that this is necessarily mm-hmm. the case for Jameson. This tends to be the case so much in real life, though. I mean, somebody is so valuable in their position that they don't actually get promoted to a better decision because you can't imagine being able to do what you do without them in that crappy position where they're maybe making a little less money and not getting as much prestige and never get a day off. And, you know, right, oh, right. sure, they get a holodeck, but that's going to kill them. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> just, like, I don't know. It's Yes. It, it, actually, that that tends to be I, I, we've joked about that before, but I'm beginning to wonder if that's not a recurring theme. Yeah, even, yeah. even Kirk fell fell victim to that. If you think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, in, yeah. in in the motion picture, I think Kirk was admiral at that point, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what does he do? Comes back and is just a royal jerk to Decker, Decker, yeah. Deckard, Decker, Decker. Yeah. Yeah. Blade Runner. <laughs> it's it's it's. Not that Kirk was mediocrity, but uh, I don't know. Anyway, it is, yeah. it is, it's a recurring theme. It's happened far too many times now. It started off as a joke, but seriously, an admiral shows up on the ship and is like, oh, great, one of these guys. Right, right. <laughs> hey, um, it, since you just mentioned the thing about a well-written Tasha Yar, and I feel mm-hmm. like we should ring a bell every time that happens, um, <laughs> it, beaming into where the hostages actually are. But then I started thinking about that and how much of a pain it would be to have transporters in a hostage situation because you could literally you could beam in a rescue team mm-hmm. you could beam the hostages out mm-hmm. the captors could then beam them back and this could go on all day long just i beam them to my ship you beam them back to your planet i beam them to my ship you beam them back to your planet and they figured the only leverage the other side would have is beaming the hostages away and then never rematerializing them <laughs> and then they threaten to destroy the pattern, pattern buffer. It's just, or, at one point, they're just holding a hard drive going, here's all the hostages. Or, that's you an know? awesome, awesome, awesome mm-hmm. idea. Oh, man, mm-hmm. I love that idea. Yep. You and I are going to write some amazing fanfic <laughs> one day. Um, no, here's another possibility. Since, we, since I think we have established that we can do this, uh, mm-hmm. well, uh, certainly the enemy within established that we could sort of do this. Um, just make a copy of them. Mm-hmm. You don't mm-hmm. beam them out necessarily, but you do, you know, sort of recreate them on the Enterprise. And then oh, li- lie okay. to the ones that you bring out. Like, oh, okay. wow, you saved us. And they'd be like, yes, we saved you. Right. <laughs> there right. is not a you down on that planet still being held by the hostages. Yeah, You're please ignore by, the, by the hostage takers or whatever. Please ignore the screams you hear <laughs> coming over the, uh, over the comm. Yeah. Screams of pain that sound exactly mm-hmm. like you or just them screwing with your head. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Section thirty-one, you say? Do they yeah, have? Do they yeah, have any yeah. openings? <laughs> they might. They might. <laughs> I, you think outside the box, Ken? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at the end of the day, here, Ken. Yeah. I was. Uh, I, I was much more interested in the plot line about revenge mm-hmm. and the fact that the grudge never died after forty years. Mm-hmm. And we we end, sure, you know, the episode ends on this note about age and wisdom. And that was supposed to be the lesson here about the the futile quest for youth. Um, But I don't think that's as strong. And here's why. Jameson is a medical experiment. Mm -hmm. It's a self-inflicted medical experiment. And it went wrong. And I don't want to sound cold or callous about it. But so what? He was a jerk. Wow. And now we know something about how that treatment does or doesn't work. Mm-hmm. If we were lucky, Crusher would figure all that out and maybe replicate whatever leftover treatments he had. And maybe we'll learn something about it on how to cure diseases or turn back, you know, the, the ravages of time later on. Mm-hmm. Um But Jameson was a jerk because he was living with this guilt for 40 years and he was ready to go settle an old score and Karnas was ready to do the same thing. So I I feel like the lesson about the the aging thing at a certain point didn't really hit. It didn't really matter. It's just like Jameson's an awful person 
and he is thoughtless when it comes to his wife or the consequences of his actions. Mm-hmm. What I, I was much, much more interested when we got to the idea of discussing revenge. It was a great moment when Picard held Carnus to it and just said, it said the same thing to Carnus that he said to Jameson. Like, look, yeah, you had the weapons. You didn't have to use them. That's on you. Even if we come down here right now and unload a box full of weapons, what you decide to do with them, that tells us something about who you are. Um, So I wish that had been more of the focus of this episode. Not too nitpick, but did Jameson ever explain why he felt he had to be so much younger for this mission in particular? Well, according to my rundown, now is the part where we talk about the messages, the <laughs> morals, and meanings of the episode. But it's something that happens. You know, yeah. we get into the discussion, we do it. I feel like you actually kind of went ahead and started that uh, last segment. So, I mean, in the last segment. So, would you like to? Uh, would you like to continue, sir, or would you like to sum up? Well, I feel like there's a number of morals, meanings, and messages here that can be kind of picked apart. And, yeah. and, I, and I got ahead of myself there for a moment because I, I sort of wanted to do away with the Jameson character for a moment. I, I, just wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to take him out of the, the, the central position here because I feel like that story, yeah, we could actually talk about the the fleeting nature of youth and and the benefits and downsides of age and wisdom mm-hmm. we tried to do that in the counterclock incident mm-hmm. a little bit a tiny tiny little bit and they have a movie like benjamin button mm-hmm. where you do it in a really grand epic poetic way right um and I feel like this episode maybe wanted to do a little bit of that. But the problem is the Jameson character is such a problem because all you come away with at the end of the day is that he's just sort of a renegade jerk mm-hmm. who will do whatever benefits Jameson. And at that point, you have to throw up your hands and say, so what? The, even when he's saying to Anne, I got some for you. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't save it. Yeah. So right. what, dude? So what? If you had the least bit of scientific curiosity, you would have gone to Dr. Crusher and said, hey, you know what? I'm on this stuff. <laughs> it seems to be working. Please check me out and check out the rest of this dosage and see if this has some benefit to you or your ship or the Federation at large. Mm-hmm. That's all it would have taken. And maybe there would have been some redeeming quality about him. See, what I find interesting is when you were talking about this last segment, you said that you felt like the whole point of the thing was about the fleeting nature of youth and all that stuff. And I didn't feel like that was the case at all. I mean, well, they tried to end it with that. That's the thing. Yeah, but I mean, this is just uh, forgive me. Mm-hmm. So instead of one of us saying and then the other one saying, let's let's just let's just, you mm-hmm. know, metaphorically hold hands. <laughs> and, and walk into this together. Sure. Um, the, the problem with this episode is there there are like a few good ideas, I think. There are a few morals that I think we can all get behind. None of them are well explored. You can say it's like the fleeting, the fleeting. Uh, if the whole thing were about something like a fountain of youth or mm. something like that, and if it were actually about examining why somebody would do that and, you know, what the implications are of it and there were real discussions about it, then okay, you might have a good episode there. If the whole thing were about revenge, mm-hmm. you might have a good episode there. Mm-hmm. If the whole thing were about being set in your ways and being stuck, the way that Star Trek Six was for Picard, uh, Picard for for Kirk in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. then you might have a good episode. What you've got is, oh, look, he's getting younger, and isn't this going to create problems? And oh, he's got this other thing, and isn't that going to be? Uh, important and, and we'll give a meaningful look at the end because we're we're taking it out of park and I mean there's a whole bunch of big stuff or a, a whole bunch of stuff that like kind of wants to seem important it feels like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, but unfortunately it doesn't I'll tell you honestly what this reminded me of we we said repeatedly in the original series yeah that Star Trek was pitched as wagon train to the stars right uh, this is Fantasy Island this is like uh, Fantasy Island or the Love Boat or maybe Bonanza or something like that where we've got our regular cast, right? Mm-hmm. And and then we've got some morality tale that they either sail into or that's sailing with us. 
right? right. Fantasy Island right. especially, honestly. And I think I, I would love to go back and watch Fantasy Island because I have a feeling there was some really interesting stuff happening on that show. Right. But, I mean, things would happen, you know, where somebody would come to Fantasy Island and it's like, oh, well, his dream is to be young again. And so then they make him young again and he finds out, oh, being young again sucks, it turns right. out, you know? Right. right. And that's, that's basically what this episode is, except we don't even get that. I mean, the only reason that, that Jameson ends up regretting it, we assume, is because he's going to die. I mean, he yeah. he never even has he never even recognizes the folly in what he did, except that it's going to cost him his life. If he had lived and it cost him his marriage, you might have actually had a more interesting show at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. there's uh, and it's not again, it's not like there aren't. Well, I mean, we talked about the possibility of the youth message. Are there other messages that you would like to? Because I think there are a few others that we can hit, but oh yeah, I've now been talking for two minutes. So no, no, I mean it, it, that's the thing. I mean, you 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 nailed kind of what is the good part and the problem with this episode. I mean, here's the thing: the whole episode hinges on the believability of a young actor playing an old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Pitt did it better. Mm-hmm. Um, he had better makeup. <laughs> you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, but I feel like as a show, they missed the boat with the Jameson character, the acting, the makeup, the characterization. He's a jerk from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He acts out in ridiculous ways. And it, it's a shame because uh, the actor and Rob Bowman work very hard on this. Yeah. And it just doesn't work at the end of the day for the episode. But but that said, there's something brilliant here. It, it subversively kind of undermines the plot line of a private little war. And it attempts to show this newer kind of diplomacy. Picard is actually more torn up about this than anybody else. Mm-hmm. In a private little war, we sort of throw up our hands and Kirk's like, yeah, we're going to give them weapons because that's the only way to do it. And if they destroy themselves, so be it. Oh, and I disagree. No? Well, I, think, I, think you're, I think you might be misremembering how conflicted Kirk was in that. Well, Kirk was conflicted, but I mean, that ultimately was the decision that they made. Yes, that ultimately and was McCoy, the decision they made, but I don't feel like he said, ah, what are we going to do? So we'll just give them weapons. I mean, I felt no, like, no, I mean, no. I felt like it, that was actually a much more difficult uh, decision for, for Kirk than certainly than Jameson did here. I mean, Jameson wanted to get 63 hostages off the planet. So what he yeah. does is he ends up giving them the tools to start a war that kills millions and millions of people. So mm-hmm. to me, one of the big messages on this episode is don't take shortcuts. And yeah. and this is true for the, you know those negotiations and also for oh I want to be young again it's not really a shortcut necessarily but I'm going for hmm what's the best way to Occam's razor is a great idea but it's not necessarily no it's not even Occam's razor I'm trying to think mm. of what the best way to say it is I mean just I mean if, if, if the simplest solution is not necessarily the best solution mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. would be the way to put it it's like oh so if I give you weapons you'll get rid of these hostages okay well secretly I'm going to give the other guys weapons too but tell you what. Sounds like we got a quick way to resolve this. You know what I mean? And then he's yeah. got this whole, oh, well, this medicine's sort of making me younger. So if I take twice as much of it, and by the way, <laughs> bad form because it's supposed to take two years to take. Right. <laughs> but right. then when he finds out he's right. going on a mission, he eats it all. Eh, yeah. Really, dude? Yeah. And also, how much, like, how, how much did he eat? And like, how is he able to keep that secret from his wife? Because if he's taking it over two years, that's got to be a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's going to be like, why are you all eating that? all these leaves? Right, right. Shut up. I have to eat them all before the Enterprise gets here. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the shortcut thing may be too simple. It may look too simple as a message, but that actually felt like a felt like one of the messages to me, even more than the whole youth versus wisdom thing. Because the youth versus wisdom thing just felt tacked on at the end. Well, yeah. I mean, if you were to take this, you mentioned before Fantasy Island. They mm-hmm. they always did that. They always did a be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know, like fate will come back to just bite you in the ass. Yeah. And instant karma is going to get you. Yeah. Yeah. And and even if that were the intended message here, don't fight Mother Nature. Yeah. Um, I come away from this episode not believing it because it's more just don't be a selfish jerk like Jameson. There's nothing. There's <laughs> which, nothing. Which is a fine message. Right, right. But, you know, there's nothing inherently wrong mm-hmm. with the idea that science would attempt to devise a way to 
make people age, let's say, less horribly oh. than they do. Not according to Star Trek, my friend. Yeah, life, I know. Life, well, life, prolong, well. life prolongivity, is that what it's called? Life prolong- prolongation, yeah. Life prolongation will get you every time. Just ask the good people of uh, the other Earth that Miri lives on. Yeah, well, I, I disagree with that as as a blanket message. Me too. Simply, yeah, simply because the science is a neutral thing. Yeah. What you do with that science, then we can apply some moral value judgment to it. But And that's why I come away from this thinking that that isn't the message. Yeah. Just the message is don't be a Jameson. Um, don't take more than you are prescribed. <laughs> that's that's a very important <laughs> message to take away from this. Please um, follow the instructions on the bottle. Yeah, no matter what it is, please. Yeah. And uh, But no, more importantly, don't let revenge guide and mm-hmm. overwhelm you. And, and what Picard does really nicely at the end of this is to say to Karnas, see your enemy as a person, not as an object. You know, for all that we can sort of make fun of with this episode, it is a great moment when you see the debilitated Jameson on the floor dying in his wife's arm. Kind of a manufactured dramatic moment. Yes, mm-hmm. I get it. But... That is the point that Karnas, and through Picard's words, that's the point where Karnas is like, yeah, he's he's a guy, and I've been holding this grudge for 40 years, and really, what is yeah. the point? Nah, I didn't even buy that, honestly. No? I, I'll tell uh, you my favorite part, actually, uh-huh. when Karnas like, pulls the rifle off the wall, and he's like, now I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, actually, my revenge will be watching you live in this way. And I'm thinking, well, don't blink. Yeah, right. Because you, you right. get to have this yeah. moment of joy. For maybe 30 seconds. Reminded me of a great kids in the hall thing, actually, where where there's a cowboy and he's like, once shot a man just to watch him die. And then I got distracted and missed it. Uh, <laughs> well, my friends told me about it later, but it wasn't the same. You know, and so, right, I mean, right, there's right, like, right. and at the end, it, uh, there's, just, there's just too much stuff here that's supposed to feel important, but isn't. So mm-hmm. Karnas has been trying to kill. His plan has been to kill Jameson all the way through the episode. Mm-hmm. And then instead, he's going to have this you know, great time watching him die for uh, already. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. OK. And then mm-hmm. he does the whole warrior Rest, my friend. Or not friend, but rest, Jameson. Yeah, Your yeah. long night and mine is over. Right. <sighs> right. Really? Because yeah. I didn't get that sense any time. I, I did not get the sense that he was looking for closure. I got the sense that he was looking for blood on his floor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was kind of, eh, it just... Eh. Well, no, I, I still think that it, it, even if for Karnas it didn't play out that way, Picard's talk with Karnas... At least I think for the audience kind of clues us in that, that here are these two warriors who only see each other as warriors mm-hmm. rather than as the people that they are. Here's another angle to come in on that. The, the other kind of way that I had to to freeze this lesson. Don't be so headstrong that you can't assimilate new information. Mm-hmm. Jameson and Karnas only see the world in their black and white ways. They only see this as war, negotiation, weapons, hostages, etc. Mm-hmm. Picard is the one who is able to step in and say, yeah, you got all that stuff. You didn't have to use it. Mm-hmm. Y- you still have other choices other than just playing this out the way that you think you need to play it out. So uh, that would be uh, a better takeaway from this probably. Yeah, there was um, there was a thing... Again, it reminded me a tiny bit of um, Enemy Within. It, it felt like it would have been beneficial, and I don't think this was one of the messages here because mm-hmm. they didn't actually address it, but it would have been beneficial to Jameson um, to sort of have to deal with what he did 40 years ago. He's going to deal with what he did 40 years ago or 45 years ago by, by going mm-hmm. in guns blazing and you know saving right. the day and all that stuff. I probably would have been better if it's somewhere along the way he had you know kind of forgiven himself <laughs> for all mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or dealt with it in some way, because basically he's just been, you know, wandering around carrying this secret with him. And he says it's guilt, but I, you know, it's also possible he just didn't want to be discovered. Yeah. Well, although he's pretty yeah. willing at the end to just go, yeah, by the way, I did this thing. Probably a bad idea. Um, I also, it was a tiny bit of a sort of a mutually assured destruction thing is truly mad or like the private little war thing is really just an absolutely insane thing. Right. As as you say, and as Picard says, um, you know, Karnas could have worked for peace once he had all those weapons. Or, or I mean, 
they could have gone a taste of Armageddon even, mm-hmm. you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, wow, we're really just going to kill each other. Cause he's like, yeah, I want them to see all the graves and I want them to see the destroyed cities. And I want to, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, 40 years is a long time to do that. Yeah. It may be. Um, yeah. So that's another sure. thing as well. Although it would have been nice if we had gone outside and actually seen some of it. This is one, yeah. of, those, one of those things where we're just being told. Right. And I felt bad for his guards, too. He was like, oh, I want him to see the scars on the old soldiers. And like, the old soldiers have to be like, I, I don't really want to show him the scars. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know we were going to do that. I thought I was just here to, ew. <laughs> I think it was difficult here, Ken, is that we, we've arrived at one of those uh, episodes that we do every now and then where you just sort of look at it and you think, well, the episode really doesn't hold up. Yeah. There's just so much that doesn't fit together here. But... There's so much to talk about with the morals, meanings, messages, even if they, they kind of go halfway. But we we dug a lot out of this episode. I'm curious to see if our listeners felt uh, the same or differently or found more or better than we did. And uh, I would invite them to join that conversation that we are having constantly on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod. Uh, you can even call us, leave your comments uh, with a voicemail at 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And uh, our show website, uh, which contains the discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And we have two additional distributors uh, who we're very proud to have carry our show, trekmovie.com and trekfm. That's trek.fm. Please remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode. And please join us next week when the bell breaks. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. All of this getting younger quickly business is tampering with my internal clock. I may have to go watch The Hunger to get back in balance. And transmission. <laughs>